0: Welcome to the seventh episode of I Dare You to Care. I'm your host, Sylvia Balfour, and this is the show where we we dare to care about our emotional intelligence and all the ways that it can help us thrive in our personal and professional lives. So this episode is going to focus around the most foundational first step of emotional intelligence, and that's our self-awareness. Uh, it's essentially an episode about about better understanding our own narratives, our own stories, so that we can we can use them in ways that serve us best. One quick ask before we dive in, though, if you enjoy the podcast, it would mean the world to me if you if you could take a moment to rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. Okay, so back to the business of emotional intelligence. So by the end of this episode, my hope is that you feel inspired to consider three things. And here they are. That you consider investing some time in examining your own narratives, that you be empowered to rid yourself of the ones no longer serving you, and that you, you, you have a desire to create uh, new narratives that will serve you better moving forward. So what exactly am I talking about when I say narrative or story? And by the way, for clarity's sake, I'm, I'm interchanging the two terms. So for everything that happens to us in life, including our interactions, we most often attach a story or narrative to that event or circumstance. So you might be asking, well, well, why do we develop stories and narratives in the first place? Well, the reality is that it's, it's, it's human nature to want to give meaning and context to the things that happen around us and to us, right? But, but in, in some cases, long after the event or situation or human interaction has passed, we continue to, to be impacted in one way or another by the narrative that we created around it. And if, we, if we're impacted negatively by our narrative, then that's when I say that our stories have become expensive. And I'll explain a bit more about this concept as we move along in the episode. While I plan to share at least a couple of other people's stories in this episode, I guess it's only fitting that I share one of my own. Uh, A narrative that for me, and for a time, threatened to become quite expensive. But before we touch on that, I want to share an observation I made while participating in a self-improvement seminar about 20 years ago. So I chose to attend this seminar because... I had just started up my life coaching practice, and I thought it would be a great opportunity for me to learn something new, uh, some new things that might prove useful, you know, nuggets of wisdom that I could in turn share with my coaching clients. I definitely didn't think I was going there to learn anything new that would would benefit me directly. And boy, was I mistaken. I mean, I walked away with, with a whole lot of learning that day. And what I'm about to share with you focuses on just one point of learning, from that day. So even though I didn't know any of the other 50 or so participants sitting in the session with me, there was certainly a a, a very warm inviting energy floating around. I I guess that's something that's to be expected, right? When you're in a room full of people who have volunteered their Saturday to spend some time on their own self-improvement. So at some point in our session, the instructor asked for a volunteer You know, He wanted someone to share with the rest of the group a struggle that they had been dealing with that they seemed unable to overcome. A petite lady with curly blonde hair, probably in her 40s, stood up and and volunteered to share. Her name was Diane. And, And she said, "'I've been trying to quit smoking for almost 20 years "'and I keep failing. "'I've tried everything and nothing seems to work for me "'and it's making me feel like a failure, "'like I can't do anything right.' I'm so embarrassed and I, I feel worthless. So as she shared the struggle with the, the rest of us, I noticed that she was tearing up. And at some point I was wondering, well, why, why was she crying about an inability to quit smoking? And it seemed like the instructor was thinking the same thing because because he probed a little deeper. And he said, Diane, your tears in sharing your story feels like it's it's much more than just about a struggle to quit smoking. Can you take us back to another time in your life when you might have felt a similar way? And then he said, if you can think of something, if something comes up for you, then I want you to tell us exactly what happened in that case. And so she stood there and she thought hard for a moment. And then she began to tell us about something that happened to her when she was 10 years old, living in Germany with her parents where they were stationed uh, with the U.S. Navy. And she said, I went to the grocery store with my mother and younger brother. And at some point I got separated from them and I ended up in the candy aisle. My delight. My mother rarely allowed us to have candy. So I looked around and no one else was in the aisle with me. And so I snuck a candy bar into my pocket and continued to look for my mother and brother. What I didn't realize was that I was captured on the store's security camera system, and in a flash, a man was grabbing me by the arm and and he walked me briskly to the front of the store. Oh, I, I knew I was in trouble. On the loudspeaker, they requested that my mother come to the front. And when she did, the security guard told her that he caught me stealing candy. Oh, my mother was so angry and disappointed, and she yelled at me in front of everyone. I was so embarrassed and ashamed, And I felt like I couldn't be trusted to do anything right. And I felt like a failure. So when she was done telling us her story, the instructor looked at her and said, I'm so sorry to hear that you had an experience that was clearly very painful for you. Now, Diane, I would like you to tell us again exactly what happened to you that day. She seemed quite puzzled, like, "Uh, didn't you hear me the first time? But anyway, she repeated the same story just as she told it to us the first time. And when she was done, the instructor said, I wanted you to tell us exactly what happened to you that day, and I and I don't quite think you did that. Now that we've all heard your story, Diane, I'm going to take a stab at telling you what happened that day. <laughs> now you've got to imagine that at this point we are all puzzled, you know, looking at each other thinking, has this man lost his mind? I mean... How can he claim to know more about what happened when he wasn't even the one who was actually there? And and he said, this is what happened to you that day. You walked into the store with your mother and brother, and at some point you got separated from them. And she nodded in agreement. You stole candy. You got caught by the security guard. He grabbed you and walked you to the front of the store. He called your mother and told her he caught you stealing. So the instructor said isn't that exactly what happened to you? And she said, yes, still looking puzzled. And and he said, so Diane, what did not happen that day was I am worthless. I'm no good. I'm an embarrassment. I'm a failure. I can't be trusted to do anything right. None of that actually happened. And then we all began to have a bit of a light bulb moment. And he said, Diane, Do you see a similarity in the language you're using to describe your inability to quit smoking today? So what happened to you in Germany ended 20 years ago, but the story you attached to the event has been reviving itself through the years, and it's now the very reason that you're having difficulty in your quest to quit smoking. And boy, did her eyes light up. You you could see massive relief on her face, and, and she could now clearly see how her story, her narrative was interfering with and and adversely impacting her effort to quit smoking. The truth of the matter is that we're all pretty well versed in the, the art of storytelling. I mean, some of us are quite masterful at it. When things happen to us, we default to telling a story about it. It's simply a human thing we do. And usually, that story will prove either to be helpful or harmful to us over time. You know, th- These become narratives that we continue to carry with us long after the event in which they were first created has ended. And what I believe gets most overlooked in all of this is the cost of our narratives. I mean, how many of us are really paying attention to that? We all have stories that we've come to believe are a part of us. And, and even if they are no longer serving us, we, we hold on to them because because guess what? They are our stories and they're familiar to us and they've belonged to us. So, so the challenge is that oftentimes we don't realize how expensive our stories have become because we don't focus much at all on on the cost of us continuing to hold on to that narrative. So D- Diane was telling what proved to be a very expensive story. And I think we, we all get a sense of the ways that it was costing her, right? And I'm sure it wasn't just in her inability to quit smoking. So through the past few years in my training sessions and workshops, I've walked my audiences through an exercise to help them identify and rid themselves of their expensive stories. Now, one particular experience about six years ago has stuck in my mind as, as a vivid example you know, at the end of of conducting a three-hour resilience and flexibility workshop for, for a government agency in Baltimore, Maryland, a lady came up to me to ask for some guidance. And she said, your exercise about expensive stories really resonated with me because I believe that my brother is a major victim of his own story. And I said, tell me more. And she said, we were born in India. And when we were very young, our parents had to go to Canada for an entire year to complete a PhD program. So when our parents left us, my brother was still quite young and we were sent to live with our grandmother. And it, it was an experience that he did not enjoy at all. To this day, at 38 years old, he still blames our parents for, quote unquote, abandoning him and, and, and he reminds them at every chance he gets. And he's still very bitter about it and he's made up a big story in his head that he believes in so deeply. And then she said something that surprised me. She said, it's also become the reason that he doesn't want to have kids of his own, even though his wife wants a family someday. And then she said, I-, I didn't quite know how to name it, but now I get it. And I only wish, I only wish that he was here in your workshop to have done this exercise with us because, because I think he's carrying around a very expensive story. Based on what might be running through your mind in this moment, maybe you're, you're the one thinking, uh, perhaps he was being a little over the top or ridiculous or even entitled for continuing to blame his parents. Well, I don't know him personally to confirm that the crux of the matter is that he was deeply imprisoned by a story that was really incarcerating him. I mean, imagine what could happen in his life if he were able to reframe what happened to him all those years ago and choose to see it through a more positive and productive lens. At the end of the day, he was really only harming himself and his his wife in this case by by choosing to hold so loyally onto that story. So guys, you've heard me talk about expensive stories or narratives that, that result from specific events or encounters that we have in our lives. But I've also come to realize that we develop expensive stories and narratives another way. You know, sometimes... They get created because of other people's beliefs or impressions of us that are either deliberately or inadvertently imposed on us as we grow up. And over time, we come to believe them as the gospel truth. You know, my my personal story is an example of this. And I believe that for a while, it was definitely an expensive story. If you will, travel back with me in time to 1984. (laughs) Uh, side note, by the way, if you weren't born then, then, this might be a time to tap into your imagination. Uh, we, we won't be there for long anyway. I, I just want to make a point of, about my story. A story that, by the way, I've, I've only ever shared with a few people until this moment. So it's 1984, and it's one of my first days as a, as a new student at my primary school in Habarone, Botswana. That, that's elementary school for, for my U.S. listeners. So I'm sitting at the very back of a classroom of about 25 students, and I, I don't know anyone else in the class. So halfway through our 45-minute session, I feel like my bladder is ready to explode. Now Clearly, I, <laughs> my indiscipline with, with not properly pacing myself with how much juice I was drinking early at lunch, th- that's now coming back to haunt me and i try to ignore the urge believing that i can hold on until the class is over and then dash to the restroom before uh, walking on to my next class now truthfully the main reason that i have chosen to wait is is because i'm beyond i'm beyond embarrassed to get up and to get up from the back of the classroom walk all the way to the front all eyes on me past all the students to ask the teacher if i can go to use the bathroom and in my incredibly shy 7 year old mind it feels like I'd be, I'd be walking down the aisle of shame, and I can't bear to have that much attention on me. It certainly feels like like the wrong kind of attention, and I don't need other students overhearing my request because I'm thinking that they'll be thinking that, that I'm either the kid who has a very weak bladder or, or just not grown enough to, to handle myself. So you you might be thinking, well, Sylvia, that's certainly nothing to be embarrassed about. I mean, everyone uses the bathroom and and I would have just gotten up and asked to go. I mean, no big deal. But you have to understand that as an incredibly and painfully shy seven-year-old, I I couldn't speak up for myself in, in any way whatsoever. In fact, years later, my, my mother told me that she had genuine fears about my future and who I was going to become because I, I had no voice of my own and, and zero self-confidence. So that day in class, I was so afraid of speaking up, getting up and speaking up. And, and guess what? In the end, I peed on myself right through my green tunic uniform. I mean, how, how did that make more sense? And in, in my horror and embarrassment, I was hoping that the other students would just, would just get up and head to the next class without looking back at me and at the floor beneath my chair. And this is something that unfortunately happened to me again on another day uh, in class, because once again, I rationalized that I couldn't possibly get up and, and ask for permission. So looking back, while it wasn't a secret that I was a very shy girl, this reputation was also inadvertently reinforced time and time again by my family and friends. And it, it in essence, became a limiting belief for me. I mean, I just believed that I was destined to always be the painfully shy girl who who moved through life as, as inconspicuously as possible. Maybe you have a similar story. Well, not the pea part. <laughs> but, but perhaps you can think of a time where you defined who you were because of something you heard around you growing up and, and, and something that you came to believe about yourself. So for me, I continued to believe that narrative for years. And it's the reason that I didn't step up to make the most of opportunities that were offered to me in my younger years. This narrative lived lived on within me for years and almost got in the way of me setting up my life coaching practice 20 years ago. I mean, while I had a strong desire to help others as a life coach, I had a lot of moments of self-doubt, you know, where I I second-guessed my my ability to go out and gain new customers, since that's what was required for me to develop the confidence I needed to sell myself to others as a coach. That's something that I knew I couldn't do because I I assumed that my shyness would get in the way every time. So speaking about moments of self-doubt, that leads me to something that I think many of us suffer from, from time to time. And it's something that, that can often be caused by our expensive stories. I'm talking about good old imposter syndrome. Yeah, I- imposter syndrome. You know, those, those unwanted feelings of self-doubt, those feelings that our accomplishments aren't really our own to stand in, the, the feeling that your ideas and skills are, are not worthy of the publicity or the attention that they may be garnering, and feeling like you, you don't belong exactly where you are. Now, the reason that our expensive stories fuel imposter syndrome is because they originate from a thought that, that holds us back from, from what we're either deserving of or fully capable of doing. If you ever find yourself battling a bit of imposter syndrome about something that you're doing or about to do, then I invite you to take a reflective pause. I mean, spend a little time thinking more deeply about where those feelings are coming from, because you will often find that the root cause is, is some sort of internal narrative that is no longer serving you. So the first step to ridding yourself of expensive stories is to become aware of the ones that might be holding you back. Well, you might be asking, well, so how, how do you find narratives in your own life that might be getting expensive? I mean, that's the real question. And I say, spend some time thinking about some things that you tell yourself that you, you you would love to no longer believe about yourself. Or perhaps think about things that that you most want to attract into your life and, and ask yourself this question. In an ideal world with no inhibitions and nothing in my way, what would I have more of in my life? What else would I seek out for myself? And then go back to assessing your current situation. You know, the one that's void of those things that you would love to attract into your life. And then separate out what you think is stopping you or, or, or standing in your way. Because I believe that it is there that you may very well discover a narrative that is no longer serving you. And once you've identified and, and thought about your expensive story or stories, then this is what I encourage you to do next. Pull out a piece of paper and create three large columns. And then I invite you in the left column to summarize the essence of your expensive story. In other words, what is it that you've been telling yourself that's, that, that's been holding you back? And then beside your expensive narrative in, in the middle column, I want you to articulate the, all the costs of, of holding on to that story. I mean, you might find three or four or more things in particular to jot down. And doing this will help you realize just how expensive your story might be. And then it makes it a little easier for you to be objective. And and you can begin to abandon that story by constructing a new, more empowering narrative to replace the old. So in the far right column, you can recreate a more empowering narrative to write down and, and begin to own. I mean, much in the same way that you owned that expensive story for so long. Except this time, you're embracing a story that will serve you better moving forward. I mean, remember, our stories are made up they are simply our view and interpretation of things. So we, we get to choose how we rewrite the script. I mean, let me use myself as an example of something that I had to work through. So some years back, my story was, I'm not half as good as, and, and, and half as dynamic as all the motivational speakers I see running on stage. I mean, I don't, I don't, think I can ever speak at a big conference because I I don't have that big energy that speakers like Mel Robbins and Lisa Nichols bring to the stage to help them be effective with their audience. So that was the essence of, of the story that was holding me back from going after more of what I deserved in the speaking space. So I wrote down the story in the far left column of my notepad. And then I noted all the costs of continuing to hold on to that narrative and it was then I realized just how, how expensive, just, just how much I was giving up and, and missing out on. I mean, it was costing me some self-worth, for sure. It was costing me the chance to, to really grow and progress as a speaker. And, and it cost me opportunities to share my gifts with the world. And maybe you'll even see some additional costs that, that I didn't think of. After I thought through a more empowering narrative that I could embrace to replace the expensive story... In the far right column, this is what I wrote. I am not in competition with anyone but myself, and I have something of value to share with others in my own unique way. I'm not in competition with anyone else but myself, and I have something of value to share with others in my own unique way. So the goal... The goal is that this new narrative is something that we begin to own in a way that shuts out the old expensive one whenever it threatens to creep back up into our psyche because it's, it's going to do that sometimes. As you reflect on the things that happen to or around you and the stories you attach to them, I invite you to, to get in the habit of asking yourself, what is the actual evidence that this story I'm telling myself is true? I mean, is there there a more positive way that I can choose to interpret what just happened? You know, the truth about our expensive stories is that they've often been with us so long that that they become a part of our identity. And so it's important that we be patient with ourselves as we begin the process of ridding ourselves of ours. I mean, understand that you'll have to be vigilant to to catch yourself when you're slipping into, into retelling yourself those costly narratives. And, and we mustn't lose sight of the fact that our expensive stories cause us to consciously or unconsciously make decisions that deny us the fullness of what we deserve. And since we're, we're, we're most often going to attach a story or a narrative to the things that happen to us in life, why not, why not choose the ones that, that will be more empowering and allow us to move boldly forward in our lives? A little food for thought. As I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, it is my hope that you consider investing some time examining your own narratives, that you be empowered to, to rid yourself of the ones that are no longer serving you, and that you have a desire to create new narratives that will serve you better moving forward. As always, I, I want to thank you for the privilege of your listening ear and, and for your continued support of this show. Uh, if you found any of the content useful, then... then please share this with with one or two people in your life who you think could could benefit from hearing this. And if you've already subscribed to my show, once again, I I say a big thank you. And if you haven't and would like to, then that's a a good way to ensure that you're always notified when I release another episode. Thank you, as always, for for your time. And and until we meet again in the next episode, uh, take good care, stay well, and remember to dare to care.